This semester we're looking at Proverbs. The last two weeks we kind of talked about wisdom generally. And this week and next week we're going to talk about words. Proverbs is very practical. It talks about um, all kinds of things that we're going to go throughout the semester. And these next two weeks we're going to talk about words. And what's interesting is there are 915 verses in Proverbs. 150 of them are about speaking. It's the subject that is addressed most often in Proverbs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at words for two weeks from two perspectives because we receive words, we are listening beings, we are hearing, so we are constantly being affected by the words of others, and then also we're speaking beings. We also speak words into this world. And so this week we're going to consider the act of listening, and next week we're going to consider the act of speaking. And... um, (coughs) The way Proverbs works is they're kind of verses all over the place. And so we're going to read uh, just a couple of verses that we're going to draw from today. And I'll read these for you. You can see the verse citations. They're different. But I'm just going to go through them and read them. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He has a cool spirit and is a man of understanding. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. A dishonest man spreads strife. A whisperer separates close friends. A fool's lips walk into fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I like that one. Um, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And lastly, this is the word of God. This is Paul. For I am sure that neither life nor death, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's consider it and let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to us. And I pray now that we would become listeners, that we would weigh, uh, the, the people here would weigh what I have to say, that they would hold me to Scripture, dear God, and if it's foolishness, I pray we'd all forget it. Dear Lord, be with us. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Wisdom is hard to come by. It's hard to figure out. It takes a lifetime to grow in, and I pray now we would begin to seek it, and that you would shape us into it. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're like me, you're probably thinking right now that the interaction of Reese Bobby and Ricky Bobby in the movie Talladega Nights has a lot to bear on what we're th- talking about tonight. Yeah? We all thinking that? Joe? Yeah. See? What's the indelible advice that Reese Bobby gives his... I know this is kind of cheesy. That gives his son, Ricky Bobby, early on in the movie when he was in the school. That's amazing. <laughs> Yes, crowd participation. And we're Presbyterians. We don't normally do that. We're not going to say amen or anything like that, but we can quote Will Ferrell movies, right? Um, so he gives him that advice. If you're not first, you're last. And later in the movie, Ricky Bobby's kind of figuring things out, sorting through his life, and he interacts with his dad. And he says, wait, Dad, don't you remember what you told me that time? If you ain't first, you're last. And Reese Bobby says, what are you talking about? And he says, that day at school, and he goes, oh, I'm quoting here, oh, hell, son, 
I was high that day. That doesn't make any sense at all. You can be second, <laughs> third, fourth. You can even be fifth. <laughs> to which Will Ferrell responds, what are you talking about? I've lived my whole life by that. And what Reese Bobby and, Will, uh, Reese Bobby and Ricky Bobby's interaction teaches us are the things that Proverbs also teaches us, which is this. Words are powerful. You have to consider who you listen to, and your father's words are the most significant. Words are very powerful, right? The whole movie is about how he shaped his life after the saying, if you ain't first, you're last. But when you listen, you have to consider the source. And lastly, your father's words are the most important one. We have to consider words because they're so powerful, and so we've got to be mindful about how they come into our life. Um, Before we go to that first point, I just want to make this point. What we're doing tonight and actually next week is we're doing something that's needful and actually rare, which is to stop and think about what we're hearing and what we're listening to and think about the voices that are speaking into our life because we're encountering a ton of information every day. And our default mechanism is simply just to react, just to react, just to react. Words are coming in in class, by friends, on the Internet, whatever it is, over the phone. They're coming in, they're coming in, and we just react, we just react, we just react. It's just this emotional reaction. We rarely stop and consider the words and consider the source. And we might naively think that words are not affecting us at all times. And, of course, the words actually have the most power when we think they don't have any power. We think, oh, this isn't something we need to talk about. And so normally we just react to all the information that's coming to us because we're like the Twitter and the Facebook status generation, right? In which words are just kind of thrown out and we just react to them immediately. Well, I kind of think in some ways what we're like is, um, you know, Google has this new function now where you begin to type your search term in and they give you results before you even get through your search term. That's us. We're just spitting out words as fast as we can, reacting to everything that's going on around us. And so what we're going to do tonight, and what I hope maybe becomes a mark uh, for all of us, is stop. Consider the words. Consider the source. Consider what your father says. Think about the process of listening. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. We want to do the rare thing of hold back, holding back from giving full vent to everything we think and feel immediately because these words are coming at us, and we want to consider how we listen because words are powerful, and you've got to consider the source And the most significant source is your father. Firstly, words are powerful. Um, Just a couple of days ago, a seminary professor of mine, his Facebook status update was this. This is his update. I lied directly from hell, and then in quotes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And he says this, I want sticks and stones next time. Here's a simple question. What's actually brought more pain into your life? more lasting, kind of soul-darkening pain into your life. The injuries that we've all had throughout our life, most of which we can't remember, or the words some people have spoken to you. Like, that's the opposite. Sticks and stones are much easier to endure than words. And the real reason kids utter that on the playground, we've all said it at some point, is actually because we were hurt so deeply by those words, and so we're putting up this false defense that we know doesn't work. It's just a trite comeback because we've been hurt so deeply. It's actually an admission. It's a tacit admission that words hurt very deeply. That's why we all said it when we were little. It's actually because our feelings were hurt. And Proverbs 18.21 tells us, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Words are deeply powerful. In James's letter, he compares the tongue to three different things. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a great ship, and a small spark that starts a forest fire. And his point is that the mouth is very small, but it controls everything. And words are powerful. They can be a negative force and they can be a positive force. They can be negative in that they can wound us deeply. Proverbs 12:18. there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Words can literally scar us, can't they? The image of the sword here in that proverb, it's not incidental. A sword pierces. It goes deep into who you are. It goes deep inside of you. And everybody in this room can think of ways in which you've been criticized or evaluated, and you hate those words, and we're trying to pretend that they haven't wounded you deeply, but they have. Everybody's had a parent, boyfriend, girlfriend, somebody comment about your body, about your grades, about your character, and that moment when they expressed despairing disappointment in who you are as a person, you just don't let go of that. And, and we'll keep telling yourself, when you keep telling yourself, I won't be defined by that, 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 at that very moment you're actually being controlled by those words. Even when our whole life is a reaction against those words, instead of a pursuit to kind of fulfill those words, do you see that you're still being controlled by those words? Evil words wound deeply. Evil words can destroy relationships. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. 16.28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Evil words, dark words, can destroy relationships, can break down community because we've all experienced this too. Among friends, how gossip, how slander, and how manipulation and backbiting can seep in to your group of friends and sow discord and slowly or possibly quickly, quickly, you're all of a sudden not close to someone anymore. These kind of allegiances form and people become angry and that someone was, that was once a friend you now find kind of on the outside of your friend group because words used poorly break down community and break down friends. They can bring ruin. Proverbs 14.3, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. We read 18.6, A fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. I don't know why I enjoy that so much, but it's, his mouth invites a beating. Um, Tyler and I share an affinity for the comedian Brian Regan. If you're not familiar with him, I recommend him highly. But one of the things he does in one of his first bits is he recognizes how how words can get you into trouble. And he talks about how all his life he's just trying not to look stupid, just trying not to look stupid. And he talks about the stupid things he said. And one of them is, he's like, if you've ever guessed about pregnancy, I think there's a rule about that. The rule is don't guess at that ever, 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 ever. And he says, I don't think I had enough evers memorized. Because there's that time when I saw this woman, and I was like, when's that? B-? And the word is already out there, and it's like, I pause it, when's that baby do? <laughs> what baby? At the zoo <laughs> with the pandas. They're trying to have a baby. <laughs> but it's a picture of how your words invite trouble into your own life. I've lost Tyler for the rest of the night. <laughs> the other one, too, is if you've messed up gender. Excuse me, sir, it's ma'am. 
<laughs> this is what Regan says. Okay, bye human. <laughs> bye person. Nice to meet you, individual. That's Brian Regan. But his words, he's demonstrating in a comedic way that words can invite ruin into our own lives. Um, how many times does dishonesty come back to get us, right? Or one of the ways it comes back to get us is uh, what oftentimes is things that are going on in your life, dark things, deep sin, we're not fully honest about because we're ashamed by it, so we're actually dishonest in our confession. And in doing so, we're actually holding off the healing that a friend can offer. So one of the ways we harm ourselves by being deceptive even about the sin in our lives. Commitments that we make, I'm not talking about Facebook. Everybody says yes to everything on Facebook. That's fine. I don't think we have to judge character on saying yes to Facebook events. Maybe we should, but then we're all in trouble. But committing to things that you don't intend to commit to, to people's faces, because you don't want to not commit. You don't want to be somebody who says, I'm not interested in that. You don't have, we don't have the confidence to kind of say, we think we're going to hurt somebody's feeling or hurt the relationship. When actually you invite ruin on yourselves when you become someone that nobody believes anymore. The worst is, I think we've all done this, I know I have, when you tell a story about one person to someone that you think is never going to meet them, and then all of a sudden you find out they've met each other, and maybe the historical accuracy of your story wasn't quite there, our words invite ruin on us. And we've all found that words that we've uttered in kind of rashness or in the heat of the moment take often weeks or months or maybe even years, maybe Maybe they never get dealt with. Maybe you never get healing. We've all uttered rash words that took a long time to get over. So words have power to do bad things. They also have power for good. Proverbs 4, 20 through 21, the, uh, the writer is actually talking about the words of a father to a son. And he says... Um, my words, they are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. 1624, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. Words can also be a very good thing. An unnamed set of twin children, because we don't want to embarrass anybody, so I don't, I'm not going to name names, still tr- struggle to keep the bed dry at night. Everybody has their crosses to bear in life, right? And... Um, but they're now to the point where they're upset by it and they're embarrassed by it, and understandably so. And so, you know, 1.30 in the morning, we just hear an unnamed twin just melting down in her room, shame, embarrassed, and all that kind of stuff. And our first reaction waking up is frustration, but then it's amazing to see the calming, the calming and the healing words that Elizabeth says because what she does is she looks at the girl and she says, Sweetheart, it's okay. This is not important. This is not important. I think the bed is not an issue. I don't care if my children wet the bed. I really don't. I mean, I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night, but in terms of the formation of who they are as people, who cares? And Elizabeth rings healing to them when she says, Sweetheart, hear my words. This is not important. This is okay. We can fix this. This is easy. And the shame and the embarrassment just disappear. Proverbs fifteen twenty three to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is okay the best moments in college for me were the times when good friends were just sitting around and debating art theology and sports friends are words with friends can be great 
some of our, your best some of your best times in college will be your conversations with friends. Great time sitting around and talking, encouraging one another, sharing joyful moments. Some of your best times will even be sharing grief together. Friends are words with friends are great. Lastly, words bring wisdom, and we've been talking about that for two weeks, so I'm not going to go on that one because the first nine verses of the book of Proverbs are about words bringing wisdom and listening to the right source. And so that's really our second point is considering the source. Who is it that you listen to? What kind of words should you listen to? The first nine chapters, before it gets to all the practical wisdom about all the daily life and all that kind of stuff, nine chapters are devoted to listening to the right kind of person. Do you listen to your father? That's what he actually says at the very beginning. Verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 2, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, uh, skipping down, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Are you listening to the right kinds of people? Solomon is very concerned with whether or not you're asking, listening to the right kinds of people. Because right after in the first chapter he says, listen to your father's instruction, it also says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Are you listening to scoffers? He's saying, listen to me and not to them. Nine chapters of listen to the right source. And so here are the things that I would say we evaluate how we listen through. Consider the station, the character, the truthfulness, and the intent of the speaker. Consider their station, their character, their truthfulness, and the intent of the speaker. These are the things that you give weight to as you consider the voices speaking in your life. And as you develop wisdom, you're actually going to understand how to weight those things and how to see those things in others. Because the reality is, is there are some people who occupy a high station who are in positions of authority that aren't always right. So you can't perfectly rely on their station or their authority. Some people with character might not always be wise in some areas. They might not be good to consult in certain areas, even though they have character and integrity. People who who are honest and have good intent doesn't, doesn't mean they're an expert in other areas. But when you hold all the things together, it's not an absolute, but it's a good start to a guide for how to listen and whom to listen to. And I'll say this much too. I'm talking to you all about listening. You all catching the irony there? Because if you're me and introspective at all, that's kind of terrifying, right? I'm talking to you all about listening. And so I'll say this much and I actually mean it. If you find what I say severely lacking, you should leave RUF and take as many people as you can. You really should. I don't want to say that because my ego is wrapped up in how many people are in the room, which is just sin and evil and idolatry and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really serious. Take this and weigh the people you're listening to, including me. I'm terrified of telling you all that, but I actually really do mean it. So station, character, truthfulness, and intent. The first call in Proverbs is a call for a son to listen to his father. Wisdom is a relational enterprise, and it comes from the top down. It comes from an authority figure to a child, to a son. 
And there are people that God has placed in authority in our lives, and they occupy certain stations, parents, pastors, lawmakers, employers, teachers. And God has expressly said, I've set those people in authority over you. The Ten Commandments, you're called to honor your parents, right? Hebrews 13, you're actually called to submit to the elders in your church, which one of the things they've asked you to do is join a church. So one of the things you could do is join a church, but that's another day, all right? Sorry. Um, in Second Peter, in First Peter two, he calls you to submit to the local civil authorities, to employers, and to teachers. And here's the here's the lie of kind of both postmodernism, but more so an unreflective understanding of American democracy, is this: that people in authority over you only have the right to govern you if you give them or grant them that authority. You all heard this: the uh, Government has authority by the consent of the governed. Okay, that's the dumbest idea ever. We're not going to talk political philosophy. We can talk about it later. You might think I'm betraying America or something like that. That's the dumbest idea ever because no matter how liberal or how conservative in any realm, religiously, politically, whatever it is, no matter how liberal or how conservative, no parent has ever parented with that philosophy. No parent has ever said, I'm only going to spank you if you give me consent to spank you. Never happened in the history of humanity. Because inside of every parenting relationship, what the parent is doing constantly by their good discipline is saying, I am an authority over you whether you think I should be or feel I should be or know I should be. And I'm going to express my authority this way. And what a good parent's doing is actually constantly training their child to say, there are authorities in your life that are just inherently there. They're not given. You don't grant them authority. They're there. And you've got to understand that. And the Christian parent would say, because God set them there. Whether or not you think they should be, whether or not you like them, whether or not you feel like they should be your authority. That's why your parents, when this is, I understand this statement, but I never did until I was a parent. When you ask your parents why, and they say, because I said so, that always felt like a cop-out. Did it not? Like, come on, explain it. Okay, they're actually teaching us something there. I didn't believe it until I became a parent. What they're saying is, because I'm your parent, and I don't have to explain, you just obey the authorities God set over you. The reason you do it is because of the voice of the one speaking in the office they occupy. Consider the station of the speaker. Give weight to the role that God in his Bible has given to pastors, to parents, to government, to teachers, to employers. And what I'm not saying is that you should do everything they say, but what I am saying is we should not lightly cast aside what they have to say. Their words get more weight than others. Station. Secondly, character. Proverbs 10:11. the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Are they someone who fears the Lord? At the beginning of Proverbs, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so that we should ask, if they're aware of the two great facts that John Newton was aware of on his deathbed, the writer of Amazing Grace on his deathbed said this, and it's a perfect picture of what character is. I know two things for sure at the end of my life. I am a great sinner and I have a great Savior. And the primary mark of someone with character is someone who's honest about who they are and who God is. And it's not merely a profession. It's not just a verbal honesty, but their actions reveal that those two fundamental truths inform everything they do and how they live. 
I'm not saying there's not counsel and wisdom to be gained from unbelievers. There certainly is. But wisdom in life, wisdom in the things of relationships and speaking and acting and thinking and dealing with money and pride and anger. I mean, talk to a non-Christian oncologist about cancer. That's wisdom. In the issues of life, in your everyday relationships, we should give great weight to people who fear the Lord. Station, character, truthfulness. Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. It's this simple. If you choose to listen to someone who doesn't tell the truth, then you're planning to fail. If you choose to listen to somebody who doesn't tell the truth, you're planning to fail. Do you listen to people who tell the truth? And this one's hard because the truth is not always fun. In 2 Timothy 4.3, we're told there's going to be a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but rather what they want is what their itching ears will accumulate for themselves and teachers that suit their own passions. That's what we all want. We don't want somebody to come in and confront us. Naturally, what we're prone to is we're prone to somebody who won't be truthful, but in fact will always just tell us good things about ourselves, right? For the first three years here, I'm still trying to figure out what it means to preach and how to preach. And I had this battle going on inside of me because I have these friends, these older men who are older, wiser pastors who've been preaching for decades. And I knew that they were truthful. And I wanted them to listen to my preaching, but I didn't want them to listen to my preaching because I was terrified about what they might say. And finally, in, a, in God's good sovereignty, they began to listen to my preaching And because they were truthful men, they told me good things and they told me bad things. It was hard to hear and it was sweet to hear. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of the friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And this is the writer saying, you can actually trust hurtful things that come from a friend. And if someone has only ever praised you, they're not your friend and you can't trust them. Are they truthful? Are they willing to hurt you? But not simply are they willing to hurt you. Are they willing to hurt you for you? And that's why the last one of intent is in there. Are they willing to hurt you for you? Because people may carry some of these things to some degree, but what are the intent of their words? Are they seeking your holiness? Or do they just want you to think well of them? We're warned about the flatterer all throughout Proverbs. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery is saying things that people want to hear for the purpose of giving that person a false sense of kind of their own goodness so that they'll think well of you. Right? We flatter, we do so because our intent is to better our names so that people won't think poorly of us, won't get upset with us, to protect our reputation. That's why we flatter. Our intent is not the well-being of the one spoken to, the intent of a flatterer is his own gain. This morning, I was studying in the First Pres Library and Sinclair Ferguson was walking by with the whole pastoral staff. And he walked by and he knows my name, right? <laughs> and he's with the whole pastoral staff. And I gave, and, and I know them as well. And I gave him all my attention and I was like breaking out all my jokes I think would work on 65-year-old Scotsman, you know, like, which is not a very deep bag, regrettably. But um, there's six guys standing there. I give him all my attention. 
try to give him all my kind of snappy humor at the expense of even greeting the other guys there. I was all about me and our interaction. It was all about Britain getting noticed by Sinclair Ferguson. I'm not, I mean, like, it killed me when I started writing. I was like, oh, my gosh, this illustration just happened a day in my life, right? (laughs) Trust the friend who interacts with you not for their own well-being, but for your own well-being. The friend who cares more about the Lord's love for you and your love for the Lord than they care about what you think about them. Trust that friend. Consider station, consider character, consider their truthfulness, and consider their intent. And lastly, listening to the words of your Heavenly Father is the most important thing. Because it's silly, but what Ricky Bobby reflects in that principle is what's true, but oftentimes we don't want it to be true, and that is people, especially authority figures, the words they've spoken to us throughout our life have shaped us and made us who we are. That's how we became who we are is actually mostly through the words of your parents or the lack of words, but it is their speaking that's made us who we are. Some of that's good and some of that's bad. And if you think it doesn't apply to you because the things that have been said to you by your mom, by your father, by your aunts, uncles, by an older sibling, by whoever it is, if you think it doesn't apply because it was so hurtful to you, you remember it and it was so hurtful. And so, no, I am not shaped by those words do you see that at that very moment you're being controlled by him? This is the application for the sermon tonight. <clears throat> the application is to do exactly what Elizabeth does faithfully for our girls every day. Every day our girls, they're fighting, trying to bring peace. Twins, man, they're hard. Um, we love it when y'all come on Thursday nights, though, because they just get distracted and have so much fun with y'all. But every day there's just conflict, and there's always this comparison going on, especially since they're genetically identical, right? <coughs> and um, we hear, Mommy, she said my picture wasn't beautiful. Mommy, she said you don't love me as much as you love her. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> right? We're doing some evangelism in our house. Um, And this is what Elizabeth says to him that's beautiful. She looks at him and she says this, remember what's true. Remember what's true, because those are lies. And she's saying, those words hurt you, but you have to hear my words, and my words have to go into you deeper, and you have to rest on them harder, because my words are this, your picture is beautiful, and I love you with all of my heart. And what she's doing, she's taking the words that wounded, and she's saying, set those down, And let my words and my stories of my love for you become what defines you. And that's how she she brings healing into their hearts. All of us can think of words that are spoken to us at different points in your life that hurt our life. And our whole life has been a reaction to those words. Words about someone being disappointed in us, right? Words of hatred. Words about your body, right? Words about your performance in school. Words about your social acceptability, And we're all trying not to let those words get to us, but they strike deep and they last because we can all still remember them. And the application is this. Let the words of your Heavenly Father, the stories of love for you, come in and replace those words. Let Him tell you the story of His love for you. Let Him tell you who you are. Because He will evaluate you perfectly. And let Him tell you who He is, because He will tell you 
what it means for him to be a perfect father and let him tell you what he thinks of you. And let those words come in and let those stories come in and instead of being controlled by those other ones, see what the Lord and the Heavenly Father has to say to you. Even if you're skeptical of Christianity, if you're here tonight, you're like, I don't know if I buy into all this. You have to agree with this. Don't you want the stories of your life to be different? Don't you want the things that are guiding and shaping all the history that you have inside your family, inside your friend groups that have shaped you and made you who you are? Don't you want your story to be different? Because we're trying to pretend that it's not true. We're trying to pretend that the baggage of our, of our previous life, of the words spoken to us, of seeing our parents, we're trying to pretend that they haven't got us. That what our dad said, what our mom said, the rejection from the words of our peers, whatever it is, your mom's evaluation of who you are, your dad's estimation of your lovability, how men in your life have, by their words and actions, brought you down low. Don't you want a better story? We're all trying to pretend that's not part of our story because we're scared to death of admitting, especially to other people, that we want a better story. We wish there were words that defined us better than all those words that had come into our life. Because don't you also want all the secret sins and all the things that control you to no longer dominate you. We're all sitting here fully aware, but at the same time trying as hard as we can to hide that who we are has mostly been a disappointment. When we got pregnant, I was so happy, right? It was a new beginning. I, was, I had this image of what the father was supposed to be. And it was going to be beautiful, and I was going to be excited, and I was going to love my children perfectly. It's been a disaster. I haven't been the father who I wanted to be. Every day I'm wrecked with... The worst thing in the world is going to bed, is having the last thing you interact with your children is, is harsh discipline. And just, you just go to bed racked with guilt and just saying, they're just nights where we are sleepless because we're like, the last thing my children knew was my displeasure. We'll go wake them up in the middle of the night. I've done that several times. And apologize to them and hug them and love them. And I don't know if I've undone the damage I've done. I really don't. But every stage you get to, you keep thinking like, oh, when I get there, I'm going to be the perfect wife. I'm going to be the perfect accountant. I'm going to be the perfect husband. I'm going to be the perfect father. You thought uh, high school is so terrible. Junior high is horrible, right? <laughs> Things are going to get better. It's going to change socially. I'm going to be different when I get there, when you get my life together. You got to college. You just ran into yourself again, right? We look forward to this time when everything was going to be different, and we never keep getting to that time. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, when I get to this moment, all that stuff in my past isn't going to be me anymore. All those words and all those stories are not going to be me anymore. But we keep finding our stories exactly the same. Your life has been shaped by the words given to you, and we hate the shape that we've become. And the application here is to hear the one who occupies the highest station, who has the utmost character, who is perfectly truthful, and whose intention for you is so pure that he would give his own son for you. And the application is to hear your heavenly Father's word for you, the pages of his pursuit for you, the story of his death for you, and his conclusion about his children is this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. What is old in you, how you've been shaped by your sin and the sin of others, is not who you are anymore. You still feel the effects of it, but in the resurrection there will be no more. Even now, you are secure. In Christ, you are a new creation and the old has passed away. That stuff is actually not you anymore. And not because you changed, but because God loves His children and because God renews His children, because you are His and His love is unfailing. 
And his love is not conditioned on your performance, and it's not conditioned on your body, it's not conditioned on your social standing, and it's definitely not conditioned on your morality. His love and his favor for you, I love Zephaniah 3.17 because it talks about God exulting and rejoicing over us. God dances because he loves you so much, according to the Bible. In the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, it actually tells us that heaven rejoices and dances when God's children are found. All of his love, all of that's not because you measured up. It's simply because he chose to love you. And if the depth and the width and the breadth of his love sounds almost irksome to you, because you know that you're not really acceptable and you're not really clean, you're actually right. Because we aren't clean, and his love is a fearful thing to think about when we know we're not clean. But that's why he tells us, your stuff, This is where he's honest. It is too filthy and it is too embarrassing for you to be in my presence, for you to come to the party that I'm bringing you to. And that's why why he tells the parable of the prodigal son. In the parable of the prodigal son, the rebellious son runs off, trashes his life, and he comes back. And he's unkempt and he's dirty. And the father runs out to him and the father puts the father's robe on the son. And the father puts the father's ring on the son. And the father puts the father's sandals on the son. And the son now looks like someone who is fit for the party because the father covered him. Those are the Lord's words to you. What Jesus did at the cross is he didn't just die for our uncleanliness and our dirt and our sin. He actually also gave us credit for his righteousness, what's often called the robe of his righteousness. So we'll have the right clothes on before God, and he'll say, you're accepted. And I'm glad you're in my presence. And I dance over your presence here. We get the credit and hence the reward for Jesus' obedience and for his cleanliness and for his perfect stories. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you are fit for the Father's presence. So will you let the words of his love push out those dark words of your old past and let the words of his love begin to shape you?